0: 262 cp Bayonet Point. WTBN Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: What he's about to say in verse 29 pertains to every believer. What every believer will receive not just the apostles, what every believer will receive and does receive in this lifetime. It's not talking about eternal rewards. In this lifetime, for giving up all to follow Christ. Verse 29. And everyone, notice that, everyone, not just you apostles, but everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Folks, this is one of the most precious promises made by our Lord to each of us as his followers.
2: I'm going to get a little personal right here. Having returned just a few years ago from a decade of missions work in a third world country, that verse almost makes me cry because it's been so true in my wife's and my lives. He really has done that. Just because God needs nothing from us doesn't mean that he won't show his appreciation for our service. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we find ourselves in the middle of the final sermon in Pastor Steve's series concerning love of money. Our text is Matthew chapter nineteen, verse twenty-seven, through chapter twenty, verse sixteen. Jesus had just finished a conversation with a rich young man, which had a surprising conclusion. The young man apparently valued his money more than his soul. So Jesus turned to his disciples and told them that it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into God's kingdom. Well, The disciples were astonished because they had always been taught that rich people had the best chance of gaining eternal life. Peter, always the outspoken student, had to ask the question that was on all their minds. Listen as Pastor Steve shares the question and Jesus' encouraging
1: response. We begin looking at our text by seeing verse 27. Then Peter said to him, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? After listening to what Jesus had to say about why this wealthy man rejected him. Peter now speaks up. As I said, he is a spokesman, as he often was for all the apostles, and he reminds the Lord that unlike the rich young ruler who refused to give up everything for him, they have given up everything for him. They've sacrificed it all. And what Peter wants to know on behalf of all the other men is, what then will there be for us? In other words, what Peter is saying is, Lord, you promised this young man, that if he gave up everything, he would have treasure in heaven. Well, Lord, we have given up everything for you. What about us? What about our treasure? What will we get for sacrificing everything to follow you? Now, what are we to think of Peter's question? Well, there's certainly truth in what Peter has said. He, in the other men really did give up everything to follow Christ. This was not a uh, simply empty boast on his part. It was true. Peter, Andrew, James, and John had given up their fishing business on the Sea of Galilee to follow Christ. Matthew had walked away from his lucrative job as a tax collector to follow Christ. And all the rest of the apostles had certainly left their jobs the comforts of home, to follow the Lord. They followed him wherever he went. In addition, all these men had to leave their families for long stretches of time to follow this itinerant rabbi, teacher, Messiah around Israel. So what Peter said about everything, leaving everything to follow him, was true. And it was commendable. We have to remember, it was commendable. What they did was not easy. It was commendable. However, if that was all Peter had said then it would have just been fine. But we know Peter never just said things fine. He always had a way of putting his foot in his mouth. And it's this last part of his statement that is not commendable, not commendable. What Peter wanted to know from Jesus was since we've left our jobs, our incomes, our homes, the security of our family life for you, Lord, what are you going to give us in return? See, while Peter and the apostles were not in love with money like the rich young ruler was, they still had a problem with covetousness like many of us do. They were a bit mercenary, meaning that they wanted something for serving Christ. It wasn't free. They wanted to get something out of it. And you know what? That is the same attitude that many of us still have, and we need to recognize it's wrong. There are far too many Christians who look at the Christian life with an attitude of "What's in it?" For me, I'm not talking about the rewards in heaven now. I'm talking about on earth. It may not be material things that you hope to get in exchange for following Christ, although many do. That is what charismatic teachers talk about, if not health and certainly wealth. It may not be that that's what you think you should get, but we often think that we ought to get honor out of serving Christ, respect from others, I'm an important man, an important woman at the church. They ought to respect me. I do an, a significant job here. Or thanks, or prestige, or the applause of men, or, or health. God owes it to me. I've served him faithfully. Or the blessings of God upon your family and upon your business. Things like that. Whatever it is that you hope the Lord blesses you with for serving him, understand that it is that same spirit that Peter and the disciples had, and it is a wrong spirit, a a sinful spirit, because it is a selfish attitude. See, an attitude like this amongst believers actually cheapens Christianity. It cheapens the gospel because it reduces the value of our Christ. Rather than serving him simply because he is majestic and he is exalted and he is worthy of all praise and, and all adoration and service, serving him so that we can get some blessing from him, it actually devalues him in the sense that it lowers him to merely the role of an employer who we care nothing about. All we want to do is get our work done, get our paycheck, and go home. See, what Peter has asked really forces all of us who know the Lord as our Savior to ask ourselves, why do I actually serve the Lord? Why do I live for him? Is it because of the many blessings that come with the Christian life? And there are blessings that come with the Christian life. And we're going to see some of those today. Or is it because he's just so wonderful, he's so worthy of my total devotion and service and obedience that I, I need nothing. If there were no blessings, I would still serve him. Listen, we ought to be grateful, appreciative of the blessings God gives us. that He just graciously bestows upon us. But are those blessings a primary factor in serving him. That's the issue that Peter's question raises. And it's the issue of proper motivation for serving our Lord. And so Peter has asked the Lord this question. Unlike the man, Lord, who just walked away from you, we have given up everything to follow you. What do we get out of this? What treasure do we get from you for being one of your disciples? Now, how is the Lord going to answer Peter? Will he scold him? Will he rebuke him like he has in the past? Get behind me, Satan, because you only care about the things of men and not God? Will he give him a lecture on love? He could have done all of those things, but he chose not to. Surprisingly, Jesus doesn't immediately rebuke Peter and the others for being so selfish and self-centered. He will in a few minutes, but not immediately. Instead, he first answers Peter's question by stating that there is a specific reward that they're going to get, that his apostles will get. All of them, of course, except Judas, who forfeited that position. They are going to be rewarded in the future. They'll have something that nobody else will have. Then he states the blessings that all believers, all of us included, can expect, both in this lifetime and then eternal life in the future. Regardless of our length of service, there are certain blessings that all believers are going to get. And then finally, the Lord gives a parable. And the parable is really a very subtle rebuke to Peter and the other apostles for their self-seeking attitude. So to begin with, Jesus answers Peter's question by telling him that there is a unique blessing and a reward that you men are going to get in the future for serving as my apostles. He tells them about this in verse 28. And Jesus said to them, notice it's them, not Peter, because Peter's speaking for all the men. Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. For starters, Jesus promises them that in the future earthly messianic kingdom, when Israel will be restored to her place of special and unique blessing, and the Lord rules over the nations of the world, he tells them that you apostles will have the distinct blessing, the distinct reward of ruling with me as my sub-rulers Over the 12 tribes of Israel was simply another way of saying over the entire nation of Israel. The Lord referred to this future time, it hasn't happened yet, this future time period as the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. What did he mean by this? Well, the word regeneration simply means new birth or renewal. It occurs only one other time in the New Testament. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Paul uses it to speak of an individual being born again, of being regenerated, of that work of conversion, individually, personally. But that's not how Jesus is using it here. Here in Matthew 19, Jesus is using this word to speak of the renewal or the rebirth of the physical earth, when he returns at his second coming, when he will directly rule over this world. This is commonly known as the millennial kingdom. Why? Because Revelation chapter 20 speaks of the reign of Christ on earth, visible on earth, lasting for 1,000 years or a millennium. And it is during this time that the earth, we're told, will experience a new birth, and a renewal as the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets come to pass. Like what? Well, the Old Testament tells us righteousness and justice and peace will finally reign on on the earth. Wars will be over. Instruments of wars, Isaiah said, will be put away. Physical health will prevail in humans as people will live much longer. The animal world, we're told in Isaiah, The animal world will no longer be violent as the lamb will lie down with the lion. A snake will be safe for a child to touch. And the geography of this planet will be completely altered as the desert, we're told, will bloom. Food production will be great. The earth will experience a complete, if not perfect, renewal. I say if not perfect because Scripture says that at the end of the millennial kingdom, there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and then everything will be perfect. So the millennial kingdom will be a a touch of paradise, but not perfect yet. But the most wonderful thing about this time period is that Jesus the Messiah will be physically present to rule and reign over the citizens and the affairs of this world. As he sits upon, he tells us, his glorious throne, in the city of Jerusalem. This is not heaven. This is the city of Jerusalem on earth. And it's during this kingdom time that Jesus said the apostles would also sit upon 12 thrones, meaning that they would be sub-rulers with him over the nation of Israel. Now, that's a tremendous blessing. That's a tremendous blessing and reward for their service. Jesus has promised them as apostles that this is what they will get. This, by the way, wasn't the only time he told them this. If you look at Luke chapter 22, we see the same thing when the Lord instituted the the Lord's Supper. He said in Luke 22, starting in verse 28, same thing. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So in answer to Peter's question, what will we get for giving up everything for you? Jesus tells them that in his future kingdom, they will be his special rulers over Israel. That may very well be why, why the disciples asked when Jesus was about to ascend back to heaven, Lord, is it at this time that you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? Yeah, they're waiting to sit on those thrones. But that's not all that they're going to get for sacrificing everything for Christ. As the Lord goes on to tell them what else they're going to get. But folks, note this. What he's about to say in verse 29 pertains to every believer. What every believer will receive, not just the apostles what every believer will receive and does receive in this lifetime, it's not talking about eternal rewards, in this lifetime for giving up all to follow Christ. Verse 29, and everyone, notice that, everyone, not just you apostles, but everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Folks, this is one of the most precious promises made by our Lord to each of us as his followers. In essence, he tells us that he will reimburse us in this lifetime for all that we have lost in following him. And in addition, he tells us that we get eternal life in the world to come. Now, specifically, what was Jesus talking about? Well, Peter had reminded Jesus, not that he needed any reminding, but Peter was happy to do this. He reminded Jesus that they had given up everything to follow him. And now Jesus is simply telling him, whatever you have lost and given up for my sake, I will give it back to you in this lifetime in abundance. As I said, the Lord is not talking about the future blessings in heaven. He's not talking about even eternal rewards, crowns that believers get in heaven. He's referring to reimbursing us now in this lifetime on earth for some of the most painful losses a disciple can endure in following Christ. What are some of those painful losses? Well, for some, following Jesus means giving up your home, giving up your house, giving up your your home. Who does that? Missionaries do that. Missionaries do that In leaving for the foreign mission field, they give up their houses to follow Christ. They go to the ends of this planet to proclaim the gospel, often to a people who don't want to hear the gospel. They do that. For others, loyalty to Christ means severing ties, or at least the closeness we once had with certain family members who do not accept Christ, and they want very little of anything to do with us. And that's why Jesus, in addition to mentioning homes, he mentions brothers, sisters, Fathers, mothers, children, we've given up that. Some of us have. Some of us in coming to Christ and obeying his will for our lives have given up certain careers or the dream of a career represented in this verse by leaving farms to follow him. Sources of income. Now to Peter and all of us who have ever wondered, what do we get for following Christ? When we have given up our houses, our houses, Our families, our sources of income for him. The Lord says, watch this. This is the point. You get countless brothers and sisters in the family of God. You gave up brothers and sisters, you get them back. Many more who will generously share their homes and their possessions with you. You gave up brothers and sisters, I give you the family of God. You've got an abundance of brothers and sisters you gave up fathers, mothers. You know what? I give them back to you in abundance. I'll give you spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, those who are more mature than you in Christ, and they will nurture you and help you to grow spiritually. You gave up children to follow me. I'll give you back many children, spiritual children, who you can help to grow In the Lord. In other words, Jesus wants us to know that whatever family members you might have lost because of Him, He'll give you many more new relationships with fellow believers who will be your new family. This is why a local church is so important. This is why God doesn't uh, tell us that we're lone rangers. We come to faith in Him and we're part of a body. And everywhere you go in the world, you can meet believers. You go to churches in those cities and you meet fellow believers. He'll, he'll give us everything in abundance that we lost in following him. What a tremendous encouragement this ought to be to us, especially those of you who know the pain of severing ties with family members because of your faith in Christ. The Lord certainly has repaid you generously with an abundance of brothers and sisters in the family of God. And there is a closeness and a bond with this spiritual family that many of us never had with a physical family, and far deeper than our physical family. You see, you and I receive far more from Christ than we ever gave up for him. But that wasn't all that Jesus said. In response to Peter's question, he went on in verse 30 to conclude his comments with a subtle rebuke for his men. They have that sinful attitude. What's in it for me? And Jesus responds in verse 30 with these words. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, what did our Lord mean by this little proverb? Many times we we use it in a lighthearted way to say, well, if you're in the back of the line, come up to the front. If you're in the front of the line, you're going to be in the back. It's not talking about anything in a lighthearted way way. Keep in mind the context. Jesus is responding to Peter's question. What will we get from you? What do we get for giving up everything to follow you? What he means is we apostles, we've given up far more than others. What do we get? And that appears to be that attitude that Peter's talking about. We have given up more than anybody else, Lord. We've been with you from the beginning. We've given up more. We've sacrificed More, we've served you longer, longer than anybody else, Lord. What do we get? See, they felt that they were more deserving of rewards and blessings than other followers. Christ's proverb is a direct warning to Peter and to the other apostles that blessings and rewards from him, note this, they are not based on those who have served him the longest. Now, we're not talking about eternal rewards, We're talking about fellowship rewards, fellowship blessings here and now. They're not based upon who served him the longest or who may have served him the hardest or those who have given up the most for him. Instead, those who think that they are first and are the most deserving of his rewards, like the apostles, will not receive preferential treatment because they've served longer and harder, but will receive the same fellowship blessings, what he's been talking about, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and being sustained by him and houses and all that. They'll receive the same fellowship blessings as all believers, even those who were saved, but for a brief time in this lifetime and did not have as much hardship as some others have had. Now, how do we know this is what Jesus meant by these words? But many who are first will be last and the last first. Well, we don't have to guess. We don't have to say, I think this is what he's talking about, because the Lord went on to illustrate the meaning of this proverb by giving a parable, a story that is presented to us in chapter 20. Chapter 20 really just flows out of chapter 19. There ought not to really be a chapter division here, because Jesus just continued And what I want to do, we don't have to comment on every verse. You don't have to over-scrutinize a parable. You just get the gist of it. But I want to read to you this parable because this parable in verses 1 through 16 in chapter 20 explains what Jesus meant by the first will be last, the last will be first.
2: The parable really is a continuation of Jesus' comment about the first and last. If you ignore the chapter break, it reads, But many who are first will be last. And the last first for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. See, it really is just one sentence. We'll move on to the parable of the laborers in the vineyard on the next verse by verse. It was good to have you with us today as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues his series of lessons about the love of money. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We invite you to stop in for a visit some Sunday if you're in town and looking for a place to worship. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. You can get details online at lakesidechapel.com or by calling 727-441-1714. As I mentioned at the start of the broadcast, we are nearing the end of this series on the love of money. If you've missed some of the lessons and want to catch up, they're all available at no cost on the Message Archive page at versebyverseradio.org. There's also a giving page if you'd like to partner with us in keeping Verse by Verse on the air. Our supporters are vital to this ministry, and we appreciate each one of you. That's versebyverseradio.org or give by phone at 727-441-1714.